0: Hey guys! Okay, editing Natalie here, just jumping in real quick. As you can see, this is our old setup, and we are also using our old mics. So the audio is not the best, uh, but we shot this episode a while ago, and unfortunately, we have nine to fives and just weren't able to reshoot it with our new mics. So we apologize for the crappy or not as good of audio, I promise you, though. The other ones moving forward will go back to our new mics and sound wonderful. Welcome back to
1: Drunken True Crime. Oh, I love your enthusiasm today. I've Drunk Drunken
0: True Crime. <laughs> I've already had a whiskey. Oh, um, I know. Didn't wait for me. It was a yeah. uh, meeting, a drinking meeting for work. I should have had a drinking meeting for work all day. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, guys, welcome back to Drunk and True Crime. We're happy that you're here. Um, today we have an interesting one. Um, surprisingly, Erica's doing a child case. My
1: first child case, yeah. and
0: I hopefully
1: I can get through it without crying. It's gonna be a juicy. It, it's, yeah. And speaking of um, drinking whiskey, we are currently drinking The Feedback.
0: Yeah. We will post the recipe. Yeah, down below. Yeah, it's a good one. So it's actually one that comes from a local restaurant in town that we tried to emulate. We're missing one key part, uh, which is rosemary. The rosemary, because why? My husband chopped down our rosemary bush, plant, tree, shit, whatever. Bush. I have
1: some words with him because he's keeping me from my feedbacks. Yeah,
0: but before we actually get into the case, my name's Natalie. I'm Erica, and this is Drunken True Crime. For those of you that are new, welcome. For those of you that are returning, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for sticking with us. I know. Through the shit show that is us. We do have a few disclaimers before we get into the case. We're going to go through them really quickly, so if you're, you've are you been no. here before, you know them. But if you're new, listen up, okay? One, we talk about true crime. Two, we cuss. Three, we drink. And four, sometimes we'll laugh because we are a human and because we are two best friends talking about true crime over cocktails and we're being ourselves. So if you hear us laugh, we're not making fun of the victim. We're probably making fun of each other. Most nine times out of 10, we're making fun of each other. We do have a legal disclaimer that we are going to put in right now. Okay, last disclaimer here, folks. The information provided by us in this video is for educational purposes. All information in this video is provided in good faith, the views expressed are our own personal opinions, and the details we provide are all alleged and individuals are innocent until proven guilty in the court of law.
1: So like we said, I'm covering my first child case, there's a reason for that because when natalie covers these i'm just like i don't know how you do it like there's something there that i feel like i get secondhand trauma for like deep diving into these cases when they're children however today i'll be covering one and i feel like this story should be told
0: yeah it really should for
1: multiple reasons
0: no but this case actually did get quite a bit of publicity i was surprised that she had not heard about this case and in full transparency i did not remember Um, the name of the victim or um, the guilty party. But once you were telling me about it, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yes, I do remember this. Because once you hear it, you're never gonna be able to forget about it. Right. Like, It's one of those that'll stick with you. But
1: it's an important case because a massive law was passed because of it. Yes. You're right, it did get national attention, but I feel like it got national attention and then kind of faded away like most things do. And I think it just, people should know about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a little natty. Yeah. So
1: the case we're covering is Maddie Clifton. Maddie was born on June seventeenth, nineteen ninety, making her a Gemini, in Jacksonville, Florida, to her loving parents, Steve. And oh. there's gonna be two Steves in this the story. There's gonna be good Steve and then asshole Steve. I'll try to keep them separate so you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Steve, her her dad is good Steve. Okay. And Sheila. Also, mm-hmm. we were both born in
0: 1990. Oh, yeah. When was she? Oh, June. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that right was, in between, like, our birthdays. So. I know. It
1: was a good year. Yeah. Because, I mean, Best it produced year. us. I know. Best <laughs> year ever. Best year <laughs> ever. Which makes me even more sad because, like, she would you're turning 32. Yeah. I'm 32. She would have been our age to yeah, live out. Yeah, she would have been
0: 32 by now.
1: Yeah, to live yeah. out her life.
0: Yeah. That is sad
1: so that's why I feel like I resonated with this case and like I'll go back and I know I'll go back and say it like child cases are hard but once I read about this I'm like she would have been my age yeah and that's exactly how I feel about John Ray Ramsey too yeah like that one's always fascinated me because of the life that she like would have had yeah she never got the chance to
0: yeah because we would have been going through the exact same experiences at the exact same time that these um young girls would have been you know adults by now i uh, would have been going through so I, I get i get where that just hits a little bit i mean i'm down. not a gemini i'm
1: an aquarius a february aquarius we're a lot of weird so you're a lot of, a lot of things i guess so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, so no. talking about maddie um she was described as a little tomboy and people say she was tough as nails like she would be a ballerina one minute which she actually did classes as a ballerina, but then she would just be tough as nails, getting out there with the boys, wrestling with them. She had a freckly dotted face, a little girl who loved to play piano and pick up basketball like no one's business. She had a zest for life and a heart of the underdog. Like her sister, Jessie Clifton even said that when watching scary movies, like Maddie would root for the scary people and scary things because she didn't like the idea of people or things like feeling lonely and isolated. Hurts words. So given it was the early nineties as it was the first year of the nineties, 1990, Maddie was raised at a time where parents were allowed, you know, parents allowed their children to roam free, like go outside and play. Let me tell you about a time when it was actually (laughs) called playing outside, not playing. Back in the day. Back in the day. I I know this is unheard of. We used to do this. And by ourselves encouraged it. Yes. By ourselves. Unsupervised. Yeah. Well, this mids was like literally climbing trees and pretending you were Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. Natalie, you had four brothers. What did y'all play?
0: Oh my god. Okay, so yeah, so we were we had these this like massive woods behind us and we had a lot of kids in the neighborhood and it like wasn't like it was a neighborhood, but like your houses were pretty spread out still. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like, like they are now where they're like d- stacked on cutters, top of yeah. top so, each other. So like we would always play um with all the other kids in the neighborhood because like we had a bunch of friends um in the neighborhood and we had this like massive ass like pool where they had like two huge diving boards. It was awesome. Great place to grow up. I remember so, this pool. <laughs> but we would play German Spotlight which is basically like tag but with like flashlights like in the middle of the like night, not in the middle of the night, it was probably like whenever there was one sun in the down, morning they like, were going of whenever the Sun went down little um, and it's with flat, it's like hide and little bit of a little but yeah no yeah, were we were we were definitely one of those neighborhoods where of like, the kids spent like the entire summer outdoors like catching lightning bugs like climbing trees like making forts in the woods You know, I mean all the different things. Um you know what I think of if we
1: did that now people think we're like burgling someone.
0: Yeah for real.
1: <laughs> Even though I feel like
0: are communities where that's still, like that's still. But happens, two grown ass women. Like, if oh, they, like, tried to play it. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like I, I was. I like, was like, my thought was like,
1: we should bring it back, but then I was like, no, they they would think we're up to something and call I the police. I feel like we can
0: make this happen though. Like what if like in my neighborhood, I send it out. There's a lot of younger people in the neighborhood now and just be like, Hey, no kids allowed only adults. Only adults. We're having an adult German spotlight. Like your own liquor. We like poem base can be my house. I could probably meet some good name. Okay. We might test this out. We're going to test
1: this out, but back
0: to the case. Sorry.
1: This was but No, I asked you the question. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you apologize. Um, this was before, you know, the Columbine High School. This was before terrorism, like put fear in everyone's minds. So Maddie's family lived in a lake, it's what was called Lakewood neighborhood where children
0: would mostly be outside playing and everyone knew everybody. Like it was a really tight knit community. So on November 3rd of 1998, uh, Maddie, she was eight years old at this point and she was actually reported missing by her mother and she went missing from the Lakewood neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So again, this was in Jacksonville, Florida. When her mom found out that she was missing, their world just came to a halt, like as you can imagine. Right. Um, What went from just, you know, an evening of playing outside turned into one of their worst nightmares. So when Maddie was reported missing, this resulted in just hundreds of volunteers just going out into their neighborhood and looking for him and, you know, searching and doing whatever they could. Again, this is a very close knit neighborhood.
1: Yeah. <coughs> Every neighbor was like out. Yeah. And, like they immediately were searching and calling for Maddie's name. Like yeah. they, didn't, they didn't even have to like call
0: the police. Yet. Yeah. Wait for the police to be there to start this. Yeah. So the first seven days of her disappearance, it was just a whirlwind. It was a circus. Um, there was so much going on because to your point, so many people wanted to help look for this little girl. There were nonstop search parties, police, news reporters were going to, because it did get a lot of publicity. Missing persons flyers were everywhere with her face on them. You know, the National Guard was even called to walk through the sewer systems to potentially find any clues. Really in-depth, like, search. Yeah, exactly. They didn't, you know, cut any corners on this one. No, they didn't. By any means. And then on November 10th, Maddie's parents had actually just finished taping an interview with the, with the national news program you know hoping it would result in some leads some more information around maddie's case and bringing her home when their neighbor missy phillips actually ran up to a police officer that she found and she told them that she had found a body stuffed inside of her 14 year old son's uh water bed that just gave me chills yeah i mean imagine too like that mother like walking in, finding it no words like being like holy shit and i am I am so glad that she ran up to a police officer and didn't try to cover cover up up what had happened. So, kudos to Missy. So, Missy's son was Joshua Phillips. So, who the fuck is this kid? And why was- Why do we care? Yeah, like, but why was there a body in his waterbed? Right. That's Um, the main question. Yeah. So he was born on March 17th of 1984 to Steve. Again, Erica had talked about how there's two real asshole in guys, case. real asshole. Yeah. So Maddie's dad, Steve, great guy, good guy. Josh's dad, Steve, asshole. real asshole. <laughs> we, he's the asshole. So that's how asshole. we're gonna distinguish him. Good one, asshole. Got it. Okay. So Steve, the asshole, and Melissa, um, they gave birth to Josh, and um, again on March 17th in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Josh actually has two half-brothers, Daniel and Benji, um, with whom he happily shared his childhood, Um, so they were close. But Josh and his brothers, you know, they'd seemingly, like, seemingly done everything together. Um, Again, they were close from sharing music, watching movies, going to concerts together. Um, And then in 1997, his family actually decided to move to Lakewood, so the same neighborhood as... It's So a year... Before. Yeah. Oh, good point. One year before and across the street from Maddie and her family. So both Melissa and asshole Steve, they were computer specialists. And Steve, asshole, was also a drug addict and an alcoholic and was often very violent towards, you know, his wife and his kids. You know, both Josh and uh, Missy had reported being in fear of Steve, Mm -hmm. the asshole, and living with him. So steve the asshole was really really strict with his kids and he didn't want anyone else in their house so other kids weren't allowed to come over and play which are you kidding me that's the weirdest thing ever in my life. well he was doing
1: drugs and alcohol like yeah. he didn't want you didn't want to be liable for kids being around there
0: yeah okay yeah, i guess that's actually probably a good thing that he didn't allow So exactly like, he probably beat them too yeah steve also reportedly like really disliked young girls like that was like even more so than like he don't want kids at his house but he was especially specific don't want yeah young girls which like go fuck yourself very specific. weird that is i don't know weird. but if he was having any like weird things like that at least he was keeping them away from his house okay so like um, but still go fuck yourself see yeah again so Josh is 14 years old at this point, And, you know, people would describe him as a normal, happy kid doing what kids do. You know, right. hanging out with, like, he had a bunch of friends, loved to make people laugh. And he was actually considered the class clown of his class. And, you know, he was an average student, but, you know, still really got along on the social side of school. Right. <laughs> so
1: Josh had been in trouble with Maddie's parents before. At one point they had um, forbid him from entering their home at times. Maddie's parents came home to find Josh in the eldest daughter's Jessica's bedroom.
0: Yeah.
1: Jessica was not there. This is one month prior to Maddie's murder. Josh stole a picture of a, like a picture out of a frame of Jessica yeah. in her gymnastics leotard doing a backbend. This kind of reminds me of Toot. Yeah. Remember the guy that broke into oh, my house? yes.
0: Yes. Oh, shit. Fuck, I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, I've been in this situation before. Like, literally woke up um, to someone tapping on my bedroom window. And my bed was, like, right near the window. And heard someone um, cut the screen out and trying to open the window at, like, 4 a.m. in the morning. I would flip my shit. I would be so And then when I go to my parents' room, because I'm, like, home from college. It was, like, my first year of college. And um, go to my parents' room and I tell my, my dad. And you know what he asked me? What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Call a fucking police!
0: Go, oh, your
1: dad is ginormous. Go out there and scare him. I'm like, <laughs> someone's on our our like roof. roof. <laughs> They're not oh, Spider Man. What do you
0: want me? <laughs> like, what? Do you want? Her dad is also. How tall is your fucking dad? Six seven. Six seven. He's a massive motherfucker. He could have easily scared this person, especially now that we know who it is. Easily scared him. <laughs> okay anyway sorry but
1: yeah he was his name nickname was toot which that should tell you i grew toot. up in like the countryest of country bumblefuck
0: toot i forget
1: <laughs> i'm sorry it's not it's funny now because like it's it's resolved but like i mean my my post-traumatic stress <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny it's fine <laughs> my ptsd No, 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 no. <laughs> okay so josh he was a sick fuck because he stole that picture of her bending backwards in a leotard. Josh also just has sex in front of Maddie and Jessica.
0: Discussed sex? Yes.
1: Oh, geez. Discussed like what sex was? And he was 14 was at this about. point but like fourteen. Maddie's, what? Maddie's still 8. Okay. And this was in front of Florence Clifton, the grandmother, which you don't fucking
0: mess with a grandmother. That's a bold move. Especially a, a southern grandmother. You don't yeah. mess with that. That's a really bold move, I feel like.
1: Like the balls on
0: this kid. And she
1: was like, "Don't come after my granddaughters anymore, bitch." Yeah. So at this point, the Clifton said, "Yeah. We don't want you playing around
0: anymore." Yeah, like how about you stay the fuck away from our house and First our First
1: of all, you're like 14 years old and dual Second, you're being fucking gross around them. Yeah. So what came out later during the trial is that Josh was into violent sexual images and graphic pornography. Some involved children. So like we said before, November 3rd, 1998, Maddie Clifton arrived home from school. That evening, she sat down and played the piano um, sometime around 5 p.m. After that, she did her... After she did her piano practice for 20 minutes, she went off to play um, what they call chip some golf balls, which I don't know, I don't play golf. Chipping golf balls. So yeah, she did yeah. that. She ball, I guess another, like a bat thing. That's metal, I don't know. Chipping golf balls? What does that mean? It's using golf clubs to do it. <laughs> I mean, my dad bought me like, Personalized golf clubs when I was five, and I couldn't get off
0: the ground. I thought it was super boring. It's when it's just <laughs> it's just when you're doing it's like short distance, um, got like golfing. It's using certain clubs to practice. It's like when you chip onto the green. Yeah. Or, um, anyways, it's a thing. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I learned you've never been a to bad. a hockey game. You learned
1: I suck at golf. You don't know it. Okay. Anyways, so yeah, she was um. Chipping some golf balls with this guy named Larry, who lived at the end of the street. We'll come back to him. So after that,
0: she came home, asked her mother for
1: more golf balls because they ran out.
0: Um, I also don't know how you run out of golf balls while you're chipping them because hopefully it's not so far away that you can't go and maybe up, they're just really good.
1: We'll know no, <laughs> no. that. It works. went out of the house. We're gonna pretend that it just went in the other side of the neighborhood. I'm gonna have to fully explain to you what chipping golf balls means. That.
0: We're gonna do it. I have a chipping
1: board. So I know we've we've giggled a lot about how um I don't know how to chip chip golf balls, but yeah. this when Maddie came home to get more golf balls, this would be the last time that her mother saw her alive. Mm-hmm. So by 620 p.m., Sheila Clifton called for Maddie and Jessica to come home in, or come in for dinner. Jessica came back immediately and she reported to her mom that she hadn't seen Maddie for a while. She said, I didn't even know that she was outside playing. So Sheila immediately starts going um, to the neighbor's houses asking where Maddie was and no one had seen her. Mm-hmm. So she started to panic like any mother would do yeah. and screaming Maddie's name. Yeah. Then the entire neighborhood starts searching around which you see a mother outside yelling for their daughter. Yeah, and you're gonna searching, come you're gonna come help.
0: Yeah. So by 6.33, you know, Sheila, she was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I got to call the police. Like, she is missing. Right. You know, adults, children, volunteers, you know, everyone in the neighborhood, they searched for Maddie all through the night um, with no trace of her. They even searched into the morning and they still had no idea where she was. I can't imagine
1: this as a mother. Oh,
0: God. That, your your worst fear. I mean, it's, it's your, your worst, worst nightmare. Fear. Yeah. Um, the following day a Jacksonville sheriff's officer so a detective at the Jacksonville sheriff's office um he decided to go door-to-door talking to each neighbor you know just to get their stories to Smart. figure out if they had you know seen her you know just trying to get a, a timeline. timeline yeah, yeah exactly oh, you nice. coat. <laughs> um a timeline of you know that night and so no one could give really any useful information because they You know, they all had alibis, um, and they were all really close with the Clifton's. Again, this is a really close-knit community, but they were all busy doing something, and they just didn't have any information to give, unfortunately. Right. One person that the detectives did follow up with, though, was Larry. Remember, the girl, or excuse me, the man that Maddie was chipping golf balls with. So Larry, he's a 45-year-old man who liked to play with children, not sexually, but he did have a very lengthy criminal history. Um, he actually had 29 arrests to his name. So the charges he had were for auto theft, you know, DUI, two counts of sexual sexual battery, which fuck really, bro. Now these sexual battery cases they were both dropped. Um, however, they still remain on his record, which I don't fully understand how that happens. I guess there's records like that it was it's filed. It's permanently on but, your
1: record. It's gonna show up when they yeah. run your name. Yeah, but it's not to the it's not to the point where like he wasn't charged. He wasn't anything. charged. Yeah, and put in jail.
0: Yeah. Um. Now, according to Larry, there is this like strip of land in between, you know, his house and the neighbor's house that they were was a great spot to, you know, chip golf balls. Again, it's not. A, you don't need a very sure. vast amount of space to chip golf balls. But um. So that's what he they was were no doing. Tiger Woods. Yeah. So, no. That's the goal is not to chip them long. That's not the goal um it's very short distance golf <laughs> so what's the point of it it's to oh, I'll explain it later we don't have time for this um now he reported to police that Maddie had gone back home to get some more golf balls like you know Maddie's mom reports however she j- never returned he said you know from what he thought he didn't really think much of it because he was like oh well it was kind of getting late her mom probably just made her stay home for dinner you know it was getting around dinner time so he really didn't think anything of her not returning. Right. He was like, okay, her parents just don't let her come back. Now, police did take him in for questioning, and he did actually end up failing a polygraph test, which, which,
1: I mean, that's here or there. Uh,
0: Yeah. You know, if you've been watching us for any amount of time, you understand that. We take, no, I mean, just, we don't like polygraph tests. Don't ever take them there's no benefit to it for you so police they did end up searching larry's house you know he did actually end up having a pretty strong alibi though and he readily gave them dna samples he was very open and like he cooperated with the police on this one um so they well that was his golf chipping buddy of course i know um so the police ultimately they ended up ruling him out now hundreds of volunteers they were still searching the neighborhoods you know the swamps the woods and um, they even did a house-to-house search with cadaver dogs again this search was just massive and the national guard was brought in again to search the sewer systems we talked about this earlier they had missing flyer person or missing persons flyers hung up everywhere everywhere in the town and everyone was wearing yellow ribbons and hanging them on trees Even the Jaguars, you know, the football coaches were wearing ribbons on NFL Sunday to represent Maddie in in honor of her. That's fucking awesome. I know. To try to raise awareness for this missing child. That's so cool. I know. The Clifton's, they decided that they needed to go to the press. They needed to get even more publicity Mm -hmm. and get more people involved. So they actually ended up going on TV and they begged whoever had her to please let her go and let her come home safely. They offered a $50,000 reward for any news to her whereabouts or like any... If anyone had any information about it, and they were even thinking about doubling this reward even. Mm-hmm. Then they addressed Maddie directly saying, Maddie, if you're out there and you can hear us, we are ready for you to come home. Please come home. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. That that breaks my parents. heart. Yeah, it's awful.
1: It's so seven days after Maddie was missing, the Cliptons went on Good Morning America and begged for Maddie to come home like we had talked about. While they were wrapping up, this segment Maddie was found. Now, we're gonna take five big gulps. <sighs> this next part, yeah. Trigger warning ahead. We're giving you trigger warnings for me, for you guys. I'm just send- sending them out. We're about to go into the details of her actual murder. So, yeah. Five big gulps. Cheers, five big gulps. Ready, go. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good which is good okay so on november 10th melissa josh phillips mom was getting ready for work and just sent josh off to school she said it was just after 7 a.m um i had been asking josh to clean his fucking room all week direct quote actually i'm not just saying fuck for no reason (laughs) i've asked josh to clean his fucking room all week and he didn't do it he hasn't done it yet so, I am just going to start throwing away shit because not only is it so messy in there but it has a disgusting odor coming from it. He also said, I've been nagging him about this room because it was in deplorable conditions. So, I had to get a garbage bag and I started putting stuff in the garbage bag that I
0: knew was trash. So, again, trigger warning, last trigger warning before we go into this. So while she was cleaning, um, she said that she noticed a damp spot on the floor. This damp spot was at the corner of Josh's bed, and she immediately um thought, "Holy shit, the water bed's leaking!" Because again, that would be my first thought. Third time. I had a water bed '90s, normal. So she ended up touching the corner of the mattress, and it was just absolutely soaked at this point. She looked at the bed frame and noticed that there was black electrical tape mm. holding the corners together, which she was like, "What the?" What the hell? What the hell? She also noticed that there was something that looked like a sock in there, and so she ended up like peeling the tape apart. I can just imagine her
1: being like, "What the hell, Josh?" Yeah, she's
0: like, "God bless it, my child." Like, <laughs> I'm about to. Mm-hmm. Why do you have electrical tape in here yes, and a sock like, in the, your bed? What is going on? And so she ends up like taking the tape and like tearing it off, um, to open like the corner panel. Um, and it was obviously dark underneath the bed, so she went to go get a flashlight and l- lifted up like the corner panel and put the flashlight in there. And this is when she saw the most horrific sight that you could see. She called her husband, Asshole Steve, and it went straight to voicemail. So she obviously left a voicemail and said, please call me immediately. To no surprise, Asshole Steve did not respond. And at 7.30, she ran outside and ran up to the first police officer that she could find. And this would be Officer Donald F. Tutton. So he was sitting in an unmarked car and he was on surveillance duty because, again, the the police handled this case great from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Melissa comes up to him. She is just crying so distraught, so traumatized by what she just saw. And she could barely get the words out to this detective or a police officer. And so she ended up finally saying, she was like, there's something in my house that I need you to come see. So at this point, you know, Donald, he radioed for two other detectives to come into the Phillips home with him. The three detectives together, they all go into Josh's room. They immediately just get hit in the face with the smell of death and decay. The bottom part of the waterbed was left open from where Missy had opened it and sticking up from the corner of it were two small feet.
1: Deep breaths everyone, deep breaths. This is like literally making me anxious and I don't know what, like, I don't know what to do with my face. Yeah. Cause I don't want to cry on here. No, but I feel very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we're going to chug through this little part because it is horrifying, but y'all need to know what happened to truly understand how horrific this case is. So detective Dutton, he actually spoke with, um, oh, uh, did I say done? <laughs> oh, my God. That's the name of the detective in the book I'm reading. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so um, Detective Tutten he spoke with, is it Missy or Melissa? Her real name is Melissa. Melissa but Missy. Nickname. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Detective Dutton spoke with Missy, um, asking where Josh was. She informed her that he was on the bus on his way to school. So meanwhile, asshole Steve, he finally, you know, he's arrived home at this point, and he's notified of what the hell just happened. So during this time, the Clifton's, they're being told that Maddie's body had been found. And the good Steve, Maddie's dad, asked the officer where they found her body. And the officer told him at their neighbor's house across the street, which devastating as a dad, just absolutely devastating. You've been looking for her for so long. And she and to was know so She close. was just, yeah, right across the street. So Josh had a ton of air fresheners, you know, Febreze, incense. Things like that in his room. No fucking shit. I wonder why. What was he trying to hide there? <laughs> oh, God bless. Him. That's good. Um, again, there are cans of Febreze, like fabric fabric freshener, um, odor eaters, air fresheners, two glut, Glade plug ins, several rolls of tape, a baseball bat hidden beneath a dresser, a Leatherman knife, which was thrown behind the TV, tennis shoes that were stained in Maddie's blood and Maddie, like a missing person of Maddie, like one of those flyers of Maddie that was hanging from his bookshelf. You're sick, you're you're sick fuck dude. Like what, why? Like what, either you were like had that up there because you felt so guilty, you like made yourself look at it every day or you had it for way more gross nefarious reasons. He had it up there because they were passing it
1: out doing search parties and he did a search party with them.
0: I know, but why did he hang it up on his bookshelf? for him to look at every day in his room. So detectives, they also found a spray of blood on the ceiling fan of the room and DNA would prove that it was Maddie's. This blood spray was eight feet tall.
1: So detective William Taylor picked up Josh from school, um, took him back to the police station and started questioning him after this. Missy and Assel, I don't even say his name, it's Assel were actually present during the questioning um steve encouraged josh to tell the truth which is the only thing he did right good job one thing you did right in this whole entire thing josh then decided to make a full confession josh said that maddie had come over to his house and wanted to play with him
0: he said no i am busy and i have a lot of chores to do there is no teenager on god's green earth that would choose to do chores over hanging out with a kid i mean mean they they will if you if
1: your life is being threatened by your dad mm,
0: okay
1: there yeah. so he has a lot of chores to do so she left josh told the police that then he decided to he didn't want to do his chores and he just wanted to sit on the computer and quote unquote surf the web so computer records showed that from 4 22 p.m to 4 57 p.m he was on porn sites many of them were involving children and torture. Josh said around 5:15 p.m. Maddie came back to his house when he was in the yard raking leaves. She came to his fence that was around their house and said, "Do you want to play baseball?" So Josh then allowed Maddie to come in the yard for a little while but warned her, "If my dad finds out that you're here, he's going to be super mad."
0: Because again, asshole doesn't like
1: kids and especially Young girls. girls. Yeah. So, Maddie and Josh start playing. They take turns with the pitching and the hitting the ball. The space that they were in, Josh said that it was only about, like, four feet between them.
0: Josh said that when they were playing, he took one, like, really big swing because he wanted to hit the ball. And he accidentally, because obviously they were so close, Four he feet apart. Yeah. Ended up hitting her in her left eye, like, really hard. Um, so, immediately he got, like, really, really scared at this. Again, one, he wasn't even supposed to have anyone over at their house let alone a girl over at the house and now he, she was bleeding like she had this open gash on her head um so he just knew he was gonna get get it from his dad mm-hmm. so josh said that he cl- like tried to clean the blood up off the ball and that he put um the ball inside the house so there wouldn't be any evidence of his dad came home of what had happened that's um, your
1: first inclination clean off the ball and, and the
0: yeah the bat
1: before attending to her maddie
0: yeah so then at this, like during this time, Maddie's still like yelling and screaming because she has this huge gash um, on her head. And, and again, this is Josh's side of the story. Let's just make that very clear. So then she started um, to quiet down. So Josh like drug her into his house, which I feel like if you're not causing him a scene anymore, why is he dragging you into the house, but whatever. And he like brought her up into his room. He said he was so scared that his dad was going to get mad at him and probably beat him that he started to panic. And he said that she continued, she was just bleeding so much. And so he ended up putting her, like his hand over her mouth and like screaming at her to stop crying. Of course she, this scares her. So she keeps crying, she's screaming and just making a ton of noise according to him. And so he said that he had to shut her up so, so I'm gonna said, cover
1: my ears during this part cause I, ju- I can't.
0: Yeah, you can also fast forward about 20 seconds if you wanna get through this. I'm gonna go through it really quickly so y'all don't have to endure it for long. So he said that he had to shut her up. So he took the baseball and hit her in the head with a very strong like overhand swing. She continued to cry at this point. So he said that he just repeatedly kept hitting her. And then the third time he took like all of the all of his strength that he had and hit her in the head. So, Maddie was at this point, like whimpering, um, moaning still. And so, Josh then took his knife that was on his bookshelf and stabbed her twice in the neck. Josh said the whole time, Maddie wasn't fighting back or trying to escape, but he was still panicking, terrible, like, terribly, thinking that his dad was going to find out. He opened the side of the water bed and the side like wood panel that we talked about earlier underneath the water bed and put Maddie in there. So at this point, Josh has blood all over him. He went to the bathroom, he was cleaning himself up. So while he was cleaning up, he walked back into his room. And at this point he heard um, Maddie still moaning underneath the bed. So he reopened the bed, took her out and stabbed her in the chest nine times um, until she stopped breathing. Then he put her back underneath the bed with, like, using his feet, like, stuffed her underneath the bed and closed the bed until he could hear nothing anymore. Um, police then asked Josh, What about how Maddie was dressed?
1: At this point, I didn't want to go into a lot of detail on this yeah. next part. If you want to go research it yourself and be, um, have your PTSD.
0: Yeah, we'll go through the bare bare minimum that. Like, that we possibly can to still, so you guys can still understand what happened. Um, But to Erica's point, research it on your own. We don't want to talk about it. So, when Maddie was found, um, she was naked from the waist down. And so, you know, again, to Erica's point, we don't want to talk about it. So, just know that she was not clothed appropriately when she was found. Josh told police that he had slept all week on the bed with Maddie's body underneath um, him. On Wednesday, he put the tape on the bed because he could start smelling her. And then during the week, he would burn incense, use the plug-ins and aerosols, um, basically anything that he could do to mask the odor. I can do any true crime case.
1: This one hit me. This one fucked me up, guys. Yeah, yeah. So when asked why Josh did this, Josh simply said, I don't know. I don't think I have an answer for that. Maybe I should get counseling or something to find out what is wrong with me.
0: No shit. You should have gotten counseling years ago. Being the psychology
1: geek that I am, um, can we just talk about how much of an anomaly Josh is? Like, seriously, usually kids with darkness um, in them have signs. Fire setting, animal abuse, bedwetting. Um, Now, he did have... Some signs with the porn images that were graphic. Yeah. However, given this um, day and
0: age with the internet readily available. Yeah, the porn isn't weird. No. That's not, it's the type of porn he was watching that is really strange um, and red flaggy. But I would say there's probably other signs that did happen that went unnoticed because of the household he grew up in. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like
1: he was like the class clown but he went from zero to a hundred yeah like how do you go from i'm just gonna watch porn and granted it's weird yeah and it's not normal for kids to watch that type of porn how do you go from that to um beating and stabbing someone to death a child that you know personally
0: fear do you think you just got in over his head I don't know, we can talk about that and like at the end. And that's what thoughts.
1: that's like what I bring up. Does yeah. the trauma cause enough damage to his brain thinking about the repercussions of what his dad was gonna say or do lead him to murder? Yeah. What else is he capable of then? Like, yeah. Maddie's murder was horrific. Like it's horrific. Yeah.
0: So Wednesday, November 11th was the first hearing. So he was held in a juvenile detention center because, again, he's 14 at this point. He's in isolation until his trial, which would take place in April of 1999. And they put him in isolation because they were scared for his own safety because of what he did. They were afraid that other prisoners were going to go after him. So then on November 19th, the state attorney went on record and said that the state planned to charge Josh as an adult. They wanted to indict him on 1st. Like a first degree murder charge and this was kind of um surprising because he's 14 years old first degree murder this this was big deal
1: this is a huge deal yeah
0: so then on thursday uh, november 19th of 1998 joshua is indicted for the murder of maddie in the first degree so now florida usually gives the death penalty in cases like this in terms of first-degree murders. However, due to his age, he could only get life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, he did end up entering a guilty plea, um, despite confessing to the crime, and his trial was scheduled for April 5th of 1999. So, went to trial, heard everything, the jury deliberated. It took them all of two hours, and they ended up convicting Josh. Now, Josh was 15 years old at the time and he was convicted of a first degree murder which again is very very unheard of for mm-hmm. his age. Now on August 20th of 1999 Josh was up for sen- sentencing. Um, Josh's parents and Maddie's parents they both gave statements during this time during the sentencing hearing and Maddie's mom gave a statement saying no one or nothing can look up at me with those big brown eyes. Pictures and memories that's all I've got. I'll never see Maddie play again. I will never see her fulfill her dreams. I will never kiss her, tell her I love her, and send her out to play again. Heartbreaking. Don't. We got this, we're so close, don't cry. So Joshua is ultimately sentenced to life in prison without parole. The judge in his final statement said to him, I do not perceive you to be a child. Your monstrous act made you an adult. I'm certain that on your judgment day, you will be given a harsher sentence than I can ever impose so in 2002
1: they appealed josh's life sentence based on the eighth amendment of the bill of rights that says specifically excessive bail should not be required nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted so they're basically saying that sentencing a 14 year old um or 15 year old at that time to life imprisonment is cruel and unusual punishment The appeal court said that they found no harmful error occurred in the trial and affirmed his conviction. Good. Good. In Mm -hmm. 2017, along with 79 other cases like his, that's terrifying. Yeah. um, They appealed based on the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling in 2012, ruling that it's unlawful to automatically send youthful offenders away for life because science shows that the brain is not fully developed until your mid 20s josh spoke at um to maddie's parents at this um appeal hearing before this and he had never apologized until then Jeez. he said i had no clue what life meant what death meant the depths of suffering and that one would follow after one act I had no clue how suffering could last. I have lived long enough to know what real suffering is. I did something horrible, and I am sorry. Even after all these years, it is so unfathomable how this could have occurred. I know I stole such a precious life from you. I wish I could take away your pain. I pray every day that you can live your life despite the injury
0: I've caused you. So, on November 17th of 2007, the judge made his ruling, saying, Do I think you're a different person? Yes, I do. Do I think it's unfair to think a 14-year-old has all the answers and is supposed to act accordingly? Yes, I do. But I think if you looked at the evidence as it developed, I think there is substantial evidence to believe that Maddie was lured over to Josh's house by Josh. She was not supposed to be over there or had any reason to want to interact with Josh. So it looks as if this was a sexually motivated case and that the defendant lured Maddie with a sexual motive involved. The killing itself was brutal enough and perhaps was motivated with the concern of not being caught or keeping the victim from not running next door and reporting what had just happened. The judge then went on to talk about the brutal murder, murder with the baseball bat and the stabbing. He then ruled that given all the evidence and the brutal matter, the murder that josh belonged in prison for life
1: i have never once while filming wanted to be over so much with the case
0: yeah so that is the case um as far as what i think i do think it's really hard to convict a 14 year old to life in prison i do believe that there could be a possibility that he could come back into society um and be a productive member of society however I don't think the risk of letting him out over like outweighs the rewards of him um, I think he's where he belongs yeah I mean I, I do think I do think that a part of this was due to the fear um, of his dad's retaliation but then I think once he started it he enjoyed it yeah fear doesn't make you
1: um, sexually motivated to do stuff
0: yeah that's my point is like I think at the beginning, he was like scared that his dad was gonna find out. Um, And then from there, just he just went
1: wild.
0: To your point, I think he is where he belongs. That was a very rough case.
1: This is like, I'm sorry, we can't, we try to be ourselves and this is our authentic self, but how we're reacting to this case. I'm sorry, it's not as um, lighthearted. That we make like some of the other cases um this was a really tough one to get through
0: yeah um
1: for sure as you can
0: imagine i mean you just listen to it right
1: so, so if you made it through to the end
0: cheers yeah. cheers sure. to you cheers to you cheers. you are a
1: survivor yeah but
0: well, with that being said this was a absolutely horrific case but if you liked how we presented it please like um don't forget to you know like comment subscribe all those things that are really easy that really actually help us out a ton but until next time Ladies and gents, be, be a, bitch a bitch and, and stay alive. alive.
1: Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> bitch, tell, them, tell them what it's about. Because giant. I was doing so good. Yeah, you got this. Being the psychology um, Greek that I am, geek, not Greek. <laughs> One person though that the, de- oh, you're you're. it's rubbing it's off on you. It's contagious. <laughs> so it's like, oranges and bananas like um apples and oranges i made up a new one <laughs> <laughs> i'm struggling today that's okay don't judge me joss this is one who loved to pay so she's a very real i can't talk okay i just learned to speak yesterday guys so give <laughs> me a break <laughs>